Hello, hello, and welcome to The Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast, I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians in the world. In my role at Ropeadope, I interview each artist as we prepare for the release of their latest record. I want to get some backstory, a sense of their intent and motivation around their new release. I've found that given the opportunity in a relaxed setting, they feel free to open up about musicianship, life, and the challenges of being a professional musician. Tonight on the show, a collaborative band named Venture. Created when pianist Mark Sherman and drummer Mike Clark were on the same gig, Venture is a story of spontaneous combustion. Add in saxophonist Chase Baird and Felix Pastorius on bass, the band found a dialogue instantly and took it where it needed to go. I sat down with Mike and Mark, and to my delight and awe, they just let it fly. Here, here we are with two members of Venture, Mr. Mike Clark and Mark Sherman. And uh, we're talking about a record that's coming out. So uh, I want to start with you, Mark. Um, can you know what's the what's the origin of this band, uh, and and uh, what's the vision? The origin was basically uh, Mike and I had never played together until about about a year ago, a little over a year ago, when we played with this Italian pianist who I use when I go to Europe. I've been using him for years. His name is Antonio Ferro, and he's a, a fantastic piano player in, in Europe, and I've been using him for years over there. So um, he came to New York, and he got a gig at Smoke from, ben, from Benny Golson, helped him get this gig. And, uh, he used John Patitucci, Mike Clark, and myself. And from that, um, we played a few of my tunes. And I think the guys took a liking to my tunes, which is quite common because I have a lot of tunes, uh, a lot of a lot of music written that's been recorded. And a lot of the times, my voice is more through my writing than my, and my playing too. But a lot of my voice has become through my my tunes and my writing. So they like my tunes, and Mike and I started hang, talking, and we said, "Hey, man, we should do something. You know, let's do something together." And I had had a group years ago called Project Them with Bob Franceschini and, and Adam Nussbaum and or Lenny White. And we used Felix Pastorius on one gig in Washington, D.C. with us. And I met Felix and I loved the way he played. And also I used to hang with his father. So I knew his dad a little bit. Wow. And, um, and you know, I'm not best friends or anything, but we had our moments where we hung. Mm-hmm. With friends like other musicians and stuff uh, on the scene in the 80s and stuff so um of course i admired his father a lot you know so i i was i was really into it when he played with us in washington and i always kept his number close and then when we decided to put this thing together with mike i said i'm like wow let's get felix pastorius and more of a a hard a post-bop uh you know slash whatever fusion type of vibe and, and, and do a thing because I'll play piano and vibes and then feel it's, you know, get that sound of the electric, you know, with, uh, it's a different thing than upright bass. You know? A lot of my classic shit that I've recorded is always straight ahead jazz with, uh, you know, whether it's originals or standards, it's always using acoustic bass. So for me, it was a, a different vibe on it, you know, but then what I learned once we got together was that he swings his ass off, that he can play jazz. Like his feel 
he's not so well, you know, I mean, he's, he's versed. He's well versed in, in a lot of things. And his feel when he's playing with Mike creates a really beautiful thing for me. I mean, uh, it just feels so comfortable, you know, so loose. He's a very beautiful way of playing that bass when he swings. And he's inventive, you know. And Mike, of course, is fantastic. Man. I mean, people think of Mike as a funk drummer because of thrust. You know, Herbie Hancock, but man, he can play straight ahead as good as the next guy. I mean, really great, incredible. And, and uh, you know, they just, so then I was looking for a sax player. We were trying to figure out a saxophone player. And I had been uh, doing a lot with Bob Franceschini, like I said, with that other group. And for this type of music, which is like a post-Bob type fusion thing, guys like Bob Franceschini or Jeff Coughlin, or, there's a couple of guys who are really great for that stuff. And they work the electronics with the with the Ewe synth saxophone, and they very progressive players. Mincer, Bob Mincer, Bob Franceschini, you know Michael Brecker. They're all sort of, in a way, disciples of Michael Brecker in many ways. But you know Michael Brecker and Train. They're all disciples of Michael Brecker and Train. So there's this kid at Juilliard where I teach, right? Where where the named Chase Baird that I had met years ago, and I always liked this playing, and uh, you know, it turns out he's been playing a little bit with Antonio Sanchez. And even he went over to Pat Matheny's house and had some jam session one time. He's, he's sort of getting into that scene. And he's sort of moving, a young guy, 28 years old, moving towards the scene that Menser and Brecker and, and, and Coughlin and Franceschini control, really, on the saxophone. Mm -hmm. But Brecker, of course, is not with us anymore. But... But you know that was a kind of a it's kind of a niche, you know, a style of a style of playing. And and Chase uh, he plays really in tune too. His intonation's excellent. So you know I'm a sort of a stickler for that anyway. So we gave him a chance. You know it's kind of like give the young kid a chance. And uh, and and you know that's what we got that recording. So we did we got together and you know we started playing some music and. Uh, we got one gig, a couple of gigs, and uh, where did we play? Like, we played uh, Smalls and the 55 Bar, a couple of local clubs in New York, you know, about three or four or five times. I think it was like the fourth or fifth time that we played a gig. We decided to take the 105th, the money that we had put into the record was from, a lot of it was from the night before, the gig before. We made like 600 bucks. We made 600 bucks or something at that 55 Bar, and we put it all into making the recording that next day day after the gig we went in the studio for about five six hours hit it while it's hot all right yeah and we knocked out this beautiful music you know i, I contributed a lot of tunes because i have a lot of tunes you know i i don't know they were ready to go and the guys liked the vibe or whatever it was so you know there's there's a bunch of my tunes but then mike contributed loft funk which is actually it's one of like the hits you know it's one of the one of the tunes that people go crazy when we play it live they scream when we finish it so, you know, things like that are great. And then uh, Chase Baird cont contributed a ballad. Beautiful. Beautiful. But that's really the origin of it. That's really how, it, how, we, how we got together. And if Mike, if you could think of anything I missed, you know. Yeah, do you want to add to that, Mike? Well, yeah. Um... The vision for the future, for me, the vision for the future is that we gig. We need to get this band on the road. We want to open for the Yellow Jackets or open for Mike Stern or Chick Corea or Pat Metheny. We need, we need a break <laughs> in there. That's my vision. <laughs> there you go. That's, we'll that, 
create generous income for us and give us a chance to launch the name of the band more so that we can do another CD and follow it up. You know? Well, sure. Um, um, the first time uh, I played with Mark was at, uh, at Smoke, as he said, with Antonio and Patatucci. And uh, my first, uh, I had known about Mark for a long time. Everybody in New York does. He's made a million records and uh and been on a million scenes and like right away i'm like oh man this cat can throw down he can play man this is fun you know and i was uh uh and with a rhythm section like antonio and patatucci there was no i didn't have to mind the store i could get right to whatever the soloist was talking about right now you know and uh like you said mark and i talked and then uh with it we ended up doing this and so my thing is uh the record in making this record uh you know it was one of those records where when it's going down you're you're really playing your butt off you're playing and you know it's good this felt just like the live gigs i didn't feel like i had to be cautious or oh man i'm making a record uh i better well you know i'll, I'll trim the bacon fat off a little here and there i i felt like i could just go ahead and play how i play because these guys, each guy is really, really a high-level player, you know. And if we play funk, it's funky. If we play jazz, it swings and it's experimental. Uh, everybody's looking for um, instant communication right away. So you don't have to wait on anything. You don't have to wait to get set or, you know, you wait to get in the groove. It's like it starts right away as soon as we start playing. And every gig that we've done so far, that seems to be uh, – the equation it starts happening right away the audience notices it and uh uh it, it just takes right off so based on that the recording and the live gigs i'm really anxious to get this band in front of people and see like in front of a hip audience that knows what time it is you know and see where this goes because this has some possibilities and uh chase um also is an interesting he's a shredder you know <laughs> this dude is a shredder. So, like, when you're playing with him, it's like... Uh, well, it's the young fire. It's the yeah. young... Hey, go ahead. Yeah, he's no mercy. He's not... He, he shows no mercy. And, and neither do we. <laughs> so, it's like dogs. It's like a pack of dogs going after meat. You hungry dogs going... You know, it's like nobody... Nobody's <laughs> stepping or it's not laid back. Or, well, let's just take it easy on this one. You know, although we do... And Mark's writing is, is uh, well, you've heard the writing. And, and so uh, his writing is superb, man, and offers all kinds of possibilities. You know, even with the electric bass, you can play the music as if it's an acoustic group, or you can play it as if it's an electric group because the musicians are sensitive. Everybody can read and everybody can interpret. And anyway, it's a hell of a band. So I'm, I'm excited about Venture. You know what, Lewis? The one thing about the band that's, uh, as I think about it now after listening to Mike, that I could mention to add to it, is that quad-generational band, and each musician has their own really identifiable individual voice on the on the music, and they fit really well together. Yeah, it's one of those things that work. The band actually works. I mean, the, the musicians, uh, it's like a 
chess, it's like we're playing chess, but we're all on the same team. When one guy makes a move and the other guys follow accordingly, it doesn't matter which guy, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's a really yes. relationship that developed musically there. So, yeah, that's, a, that's true. We each have an individual voice on writing and playing, and it just all fits together really well. I like playing the piano. I was a, this is one of those recording dates that I was, this is very important, actually. I was able, we didn't have much time, Lewis, you know. Uh, we, we didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> so we were going in and we didn't have a whole lot of time. But I felt that from the piano, because I've been playing piano my whole life. and I'm known more as a vibraphonist, but I played piano with a lot of people. And, and I'm always on the piano. I decided I was able to control the, the tempo and the flow of the session from the piano better. That's a stronger position, you know? So I was able to control that and thereby getting the whole record done in like five hours. What comes to mind, you know, after I get over the, the, uh, the, the, the basic fact that uh, here I am in this enviable position of talking to both of you guys on and off the record, um, we're, we're a jazz label, I think. People think we're a jazz label. And uh, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, how old jazz is, so to speak, and, 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 and how, what about the decline of jazz or whatever. But in talking to both of you, I get this just vibrant sense that it's all still, that it's been vibrant and the whole time, you know, that it's never changed. You guys are still like right in there doing it like, like the, nothing ever happened, you know? I mean, do you want to talk about that, about how it feels from the inside? Because I think a lot of people on the outside, and it probably has nothing to do with jazz, it's just that all these other, other genres and the, the, the manufacture of music has kind of like dominated people's, pe people's ears, ear holes. All right. For me, it's, uh, uh, I see, uh, I've been working an incredible schedule since high school with the few times where I was had a few lean times and I was a little worried, but they didn't last long. So I don't know. Uh, for me, it's, we're always in the underbelly of the regular thing going on in America because we're jazz musicians or musicians period, you know, unless you play classically and you have a steady gig for 40 years or something like that. But uh, for me, I'm always inventing gigs and then going to play play them so for me there's always been a scene I've never seen when there I don't remember a time when there wasn't a scene and sometimes for me it's been real lucrative and real super busy and traveling all over the world and then other times it's been like I'm in town playing gigs uh, yeah yeah but you know what I love every gig I play I can't there's it, I don't play with musicians or with, with especially at this point or with band or gigs that I don't care for I, I'm, and I've still managed to be uh, fussy like that and uh, about what I do, particular about what I do and who I play with, and I still play all the time. So I can't imagine it. Um, for me, that's heaven. <laughs> that's how I feel. So I guess the scene's cool. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> you were chosen to play the music. You were chosen for the music. Wow. You know, yeah, I think calling it's kind of like a calling it's kind of like a, a priest you know or a rabbi or something you know like mm -hmm. it's kind of like a calling you you like music chose me i didn't choose it 
You know what I mean? Mike? I do know. I do know. Yes. I was really referring to jazz because, you know, there's discussion, right? And I think a lot of people from the outside, it's like, you know, we had people like Christian Scott or Terrace Martin or Nate Smith, you know, people doing things. And then somebody comes along and says, well, you know, you, we've got what's known as the jazz police, you know, and a lot of people from the other side of it view it as just sort of this old genre. And there used to be this hip crazy scene and, and opportunity to get into your worlds and see how excited you are about it and how, right. how well, it is. Okay, I can elaborate big on that. One of, one of the things about the music in general, like for me, like Mike says, he's been busy since he started playing. Pretty much me too, you know. I, I got knocked right out of Juilliard into the New York freelance scene as a percussionist at 21. I started on Broadway. Uh, I started, did all kinds of freelance and film dates, jingles, 10,000 jingles in the day when there were a million jingles, you know, and all the studios were active in New York could pop from one studio to another all day long. Guys like Bert Purdy, I was with Bernard Purdy all the time, and Grady Tate, and we were playing a million freaking jingles, man. I mean, it was like, you could do a Broadway show at night and have jingles all day. <laughs> You're making a lot of money, you know, and you can make over six figures a year doing that in the 80s if you had a show, you know. So shows were like, that was, for me, that was just like, I got spit out into it. But of course, I saw the boredom in it, and I didn't really like it. But, you know, so I stopped it for a long time, and I went on the road with Mike Renzi and Peggy Lee. I was with Peggy Lee for seven years, and that was a launching gig for me to other things, the Jackie and Roy gig and that. And it put me on the map in the jazz world a little bit, and I was able to, um, you know, do other things in the jazz world. So Now, the reason for the jazz, the reason I'm so vibrant about it is because for us, for guys like Mike Clark or any of the guys in the band, the poetic language of jazz improvisation, and I have a book called that, okay, The Poetic Language of Jazz Improvisation, is an art form that it doesn't matter how much money we're making. It doesn't matter how, how much. We're not thinking about that. We ne I, I never thought, how am I going to make a living? I never thought to myself, geez, I'm going to make a living. I mean, I did with Broadway. That's why I did Broadway. It allowed me to have a family and kids, and it cost a lot of money. So the security of that helped me a lot. And it's going to give it gives you a pension, too. You know, So the union work is great. But that was never my quest. My quest was always to be a recording artist and always play great music. It takes a certain skill set to be a percussionist and, and nail those kind of gigs. So, you know, I did all that. And through, through being a percussionist and a vibraphonist, I was able to get gigs with lots of singers tons of them they're all listed on my wikipedia thing you know mm -hmm. horn and peggy lee and bennett tony bennett i played with sinatra you know and sammy davis and you know it's like you get a lot of gigs doing that shit especially if you can play a little jazz plus cover the percussion parts so it gave me like a lot of great experience as a player my own recording career was pursued because i got a record deal in 86 on columbia with george Butler. The music is played because we love the music. I only play this music in this poetic language of jazz. It's an art form. So we're all challenged by the art form so much that it doesn't bother me that jazz is, quote, dying, that it takes the second seat, the back seat to other musics and things like that. It's just reality. <laughs> it's just reality, right, Mike? I mean, we love the music so much that he's probably practicing on the pad every day. 
Oh, I practice a lot. Do you guys know who Skillet, Leroy, and Lawanda is? Uh, uh, you know? I don't. Okay, I'll ask him. Nope. All right. Do you know who? Okay, Lawanda Page played Hester on the Red Fox show. Do you remember? On oh, my gosh, yes. Okay. So I worked with Skillet, Leroy, and Lawanda, which was a X-rated Chitlin Circuit uh, wow. group. And it was an <laughs> yeah, and and it was an organ trio. Yeah, that's not sexy. That's not yeah, sexy. They, well, they were under the umbrella of the Red Fox show. That's why all of them ended up on the Red Fox show on the TV show. But uh, he was doing Vegas, and we did uh, the West Coast. Uh, and anyway, but uh, and it was an amazing uh, amount of stories that I have from just that gig itself. And uh, yeah, man, one of the big gigs you did, you're gonna have a million stories. But that poetic language of jazz improvisation, it's really, it really becomes that. It becomes that. And what we do is we're very poetic, and the very poetic improvisers, four of us, and we speak to each other pretty well and clearly with purpose. So for me, that's the gold, you know. You know, it's a. It's a. It, it's interesting, Lewis, because it. And I'm. I, I'm not telling you something you don't know. But it's a, a, a language, you know, like the, uh, and the language uh, that most jazz musicians, if they've done some homework, speak is also the history. So we can quote the yeah, innuendos that come up that we, somebody will play just the, or even hint slightly at a direction. And, and if you've done, if you've done your homework and you're, and you're serious about this, music and all of that becomes part of the conversation we have and it's so it's, it's it's more than a blast to play it it's like really uh what's the word it's just uh, your your spirit it uplifts your whole spirit the energy of the thing yeah the, i think that the motivation that comes from you know working to execute the poetic language of jazz improvisation in interpretation of whatever song you're playing, whether it's a standard or whether it's an original. I think yeah. that, that that craft and that challenge of executing the music, the heads, executing all the heads and everything, but then actually saying something on the form and saying something with your language skills on that and owning that piece of music, it's a real challenge. It's like a sport. Playing vibes, for instance, is like a sport. You know, it's literally athletic. You know, I mean, I walk off a solo like. Same with drums. You're a drummer. He, Mar uh, 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 Mark is a hell of a drummer as well. So he's right. It is like a sport. It's it's like I, I don't even mean the physical part of it, but it's like playing for me. Like when you're playing basketball and you're red hot, and you can't miss, and everything is working. That's like a band that works like that together. It's so. Uh, invigorating and it's such a, it's an experience while i'm alive on earth it's a, it's a it's a, amazing. amazing drums is like a, is a four-limbed sport you know you're using all four limbs same with vibes where you're using you're using all four limbs and you're standing with vibes and you're standing you're standing it makes it even worse because you're leaning to the sides and it fucks with your back it messes with your back so, you know it's really like i come home after a gig on vibes if I play piano all night, I'll be okay. I'll be a little stiff getting up if I'm sitting for a straight hour and a half or something playing. But 
but I'm but I'm okay, you know. Play 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 two sets on vibes. I'm injured the next day. I'm on ice. What's interesting, though, what I love about Venture is uh, uh, the fact that you play vibes and piano on the gig. So we have another color that can, I mean, I've seen Mark just start, he'll be in the middle of a vibe solo and he'll walk over to the piano and finish it over. I mean, like, this is great stuff. For me, it's drama because, you know, you don't know, you, you don't know what's going to happen. So nothing is, we know how the tunes go. And once we put the head of the tune, anything can happen. I mean, Felix can take over. Any guy can all of a sudden start instigating an entire scene. But because we have, a, you know, a guy that plays vibes and then he plays piano equally as well. Oh, here's another thing I wanted to make. But besides that point that I think I just made a couple of times is today there's a lot of sports. Speaking of sports, there's a lot of gymnasium playing going on. And I find it, uh, uh, you know, where one person is saying, look at me, watch all this that I can do. Shredder. I find it uninteresting. It's fun for a minute for me, you know. Like one guy had invited me down to the Blue Note to hear him play, and he played exactly like that. It was some of the most amazing playing, but it was all about him. And, I, and he came to my table afterwards to get the compliments and everything because he was brilliant. And I said, you know what, man, I would pay twice as much. I didn't really pay anything because he put me on the list. But I mean, I would pay twice as much <laughs> to hear you without a band and just play where I could just hear you play your instrument and do everything you know how to do. I'd sit right there and have a margarita or whatever and listen and have a good time or a glass of wine. And uh, uh, But it's not as interesting to me as a band that's working as one, you know? And the music's conversational, so it's not how good anybody is. It's like how, how, uh, how great can we make the music? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to hear both of these things, and 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 I get it. And to, to put it up for an audience, I mean, the, the, you know, it, it it feels like a sport, and I think, and 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 a, and, a com and the natural conversation that goes with that, right? So there, there's something happening between you guys that, you know. That, that most people don't ever get to do. Uh, and it's... Oh, that rhythm section is like paradise for me. <laughs> exciting. It's adventurous. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen. And it's that conversation. You know, I was talking with Russell Gunn the other day. And we were, you know, I don't know what, what, what the example was. But it was like, you know, is so-and-so... You know, it's the jazz police conversation or whatever, and you know, and he's like, you know what? These are these are not conversations that should be out in the public. These are conversations that we musicians ought to have between our between each other, you know, backstage. And I was like, fair enough, and I get it. So I, you know, I think that the the public is maybe a little bit tired of that solo thing of that. Yeah. Look at me, and I think that what's missing these days is that sense of of the interplay between everybody and the and the and the not recklessness, but controlled recklessness, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that can happen in, in these things. Well, in the highest level of, of the, of the art form, that's what, that's what it's supposed to be. Mm. I think. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what Coltrane did. Conversational. Com, Com, Coltrane and Elvin, McCoy and Garrison. I grew up with that. I was an Elvin Jones student. Mm -hmm. I used to study with Elvin Jones and follow him. That, that, you listen to Elvin Jones with Dave Liebman, Frank Foster, Joe Farrell, and Steve Grossman with Gene Perler or Jimmy Garrison on bass, 
and you hear what it is. It's just like seeing Coltrane, you know, in a way. And 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 that 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 conversational thing is that's part of the sport. Yeah. <laughs> that's the part of the sport. It's it's kind of like you could compare it to a real sport, to the kind of things that happen between baseball players, you know, yeah, or any. So, so I, I, you know, the communication factor, you know. I think people can look forward to that and think about that when they're when they're listening to this record and, and get that. And I hope that uh, people get an opportunity to see Venture live. We're going to be we're going to have information on uh, all the Rope It Up channels. I want to say thanks to you guys, and I also want to say maybe we should do a regular podcast slash show called Hanging with the Cool Kids, and we can tell all those you guys can tell all those stories. That would be fun. our show for today thank you for listening to the 21 soul music podcast if you like what we do please subscribe you can find us on mixcloud and you can go over to youtube and find our video series as well we're also available on stitcher itunes and wherever else podcasts are found a big shout out to our producer mr nick perry our show is recorded in east philadelphia at the rope it Ope room I want to say thank you to musicians who contribute music to the world and to this podcast. And a big thank you to those of you who have taken the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show. <laughs>